Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, Spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. It is one of your co-hosts, Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. So this week, Tara and I are going to be tackling a subject that at first we were both a little underwhelmed about, but the more we researched, the more we became a little more ranty. (laughs) By a little more, I mean there were several exchanges of what the fuck's happening. Yes. (laughs) Throughout our research. We're going to be talking about the very interesting case that surrounds the mysterious death of Brittany Murphy. And if you don't know who Brittany Murphy is, you will by the end of this case. And if you didn't know who she was, you're probably just really young. Probably. That makes sense. Because I was like, how the fuck do you not know who she is? But then I realized we're old now. So. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But before we jump into the episode, we're going to talk a little bit of business and then we're going to do a promo break and then we're going to get right into it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hang out with us on social medias, you can do that by using the handle at three spooked girls and that'll get you Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and that'll get you to our like page on Facebook. If you want to hang out with us and interact with us on a more daily basis, we have an amazing, amazing, amazing Facebook group. It's three spooked girls official. We have done a secret Satan in there. We're getting ready to do a secret Santa. There's a lot of fun memes and just a lot of like camaraderie that happens in there. We also just started a book club. Mm -hmm. This month we're reading the book The Shadows by Alex North. So if you want to catch up, I mean, I just it's like literally the fifth as we record this and I'm kind of in chapter one. But I noticed like some people are in chapter 14 and I'm like, okay, I got to get my ass in gear. (laughs) (laughs) Same. So if you want to be a part of that, go ahead and join there. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com. or backslash three spooked girls or check out the link in the link tree below. For as little as a dollar, you get a bonus episode each month, which comes to you on the last day of the month. And they're pretty fun. Mm-hmm. We've been doing some really fun things. The, the last one we did was Halloween themed. We did the history of Halloween. And if you join for as little as a dollar, you get all the backlog on that. And for $2 and up patrons, you get three bonus episodes a month. You get the end of the month, all tier one. You get two Jessica Slaughter's movie reviews and plot lines, which is affectionately known just as Slaughter's because as you can tell, it's a very long name and very hard to put on things. Um, (laughs) And if you're a $5 and up patron, you get video content and get the newest installment on Patreon, which is our Haunted Grounds, which is brought to you by Tara. And she discusses 
some spooky, haunted, possessed, crazy thing that always freaks me the fuck out. (laughs) And then she talks to us about a new caffeinated beverage each month. So it's really, it's like a, it's a learn, learn situation. Yes. And if you're a $10 and up patron, you actually get to pick a topic that you want us to talk about here on the show. Those are called patron selects. We do them about twice a month. Tara and I pick one each and go or whichever one is next and whoever has a a stabby open. (laughs) So yeah, if you want to support the show, you can do that. On December 5th of this year, we are going to be doing something a little different. Tara and I decided that since COVID is happening and people out there are craving to be around each other but can't because we have to stay social distanced because we don't want people to get sick, we are going to have a virtual hangout party for Krampus Day, which is December 5th. You can attend for $5. That's the entrance fee. And we are donating all our proceeds to Toys for Tots this year. We want to be able to bless some families that are in need. We understand that right now in this country, times are a little tough and there are families out there who want to be able to give their kids an amazing Christmas and we as a show want to be able to do that and help out. So if you want to be part of that, go ahead and go get your ticket. It's in the link tree below on our website. Lots of places you can find it. It's going to be a fun day. You can stop by for as much time as you want. We're going to play games. We'll probably do like a Q&A like we did with our Potterversary. We're going to just be doing a lot of fun things. So make sure you check that out and it's for a great cause. Yeah. So before we get started and jump into tonight's episode, we're going to take a quick promo break. We'll be back in just a minute. Are you looking for a history podcast to grab some quotes for a last minute paper? Or maybe your presentation on Jane Eyre needs a punch up. Then do not listen to us. Do not. Like, we're begging of you. (laughs) I'm Ashley. And I'm Kelsey. And we host Make It Modern, a podcast where we talk about history, literature, and all things made before the year 2010 in a way that would probably be frowned upon by any teacher. We basically delve into the past and stumble into the present. We discuss things like what type of rosé is appropriate for a medieval execution, and how we've all been binglied one time or another. So if you love hearing about people, places, and things with so many issues they could be a Julia Michaels song, join us every Thursday on Spotify and iTunes. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at Make It Modern, and also on Twitter and Instagram at capital M-I-M underscore podcast. Well, welcome back, Spooksters. Before we dive right in, I'm going to tell you what the drink of the week is, since we are getting in the holiday spirit here on Three Spooked Girls, because this month, our theme really is about families, because we did the Conjuring family last week. We're talking about Brittany Murphy, which is just a clusterfuck of family. <laughs> yes. Every really (laughs) the theme of this month is family. Basically through the holiday, into the holiday season, we're going to be bringing you drink recipes that will be good for like gather, not like gatherings because you can't gather, but maybe if you are hanging out with your little family and you want to get drunk because my family approves of that message. (laughs) (laughs) So this week we are doing the cranberry Moscow meal because I love Moscow meals and nothing screams Thanksgiving Christmas to me like a good cocktail with cranberry in it. So you're going to need eight ounces of ginger beer, one juice of a lime or juice from one lime. There we go. A shot of vodka. You know, I'm going to recommend Tito's for this. (laughs) A tablespoon of cranberry juice. And raw cranberries and lime slices for garnish. And then you just make it like a regular Moscow mule. I love it. I love it. I love Moscow mules. It's like, to me, that that's my winter drink. I really, really enjoy it. I think of uh, when we went to New York and we were in Denver and I got that fucking jalapeno one. Mm. Oh my God, there was so much jalapeno in it. Uh. It's a very... <laughs> 
if you get a bartender who is like, oh, muy caliente, and you're like, oh, God, I just want a little heat on the end of my cocktail. Yeah. Tell me what you guys think, Spixers, but I think any kind of cocktail that has some sort of heat in it, it should be like the last note, and it should be like so subtle that your tongue just basically barely tingles, and you're like, ooh, not like, because I tasted the one Tara had, and it was like, Holy, I just stuck my mouth in a jar of jalapenos. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, it was supposed to have pineapple, I think, in it. And no, nope, nowhere to be found. I think it was like one of those things. They're probably like out of pineapple, but didn't want to say anything. So they're like, more jalapeno. And you're like, "Mm, that's not the way you go with that. Like maybe an orange, maybe a different citrus fruit. Right. Oh, oh, well, I survived. You did because you sent it back and got got a beer. (laughs) No, I drank it. I thought you got a beer. No, I drank it because I don't like doing that. Oh, that's right. I told you to send it back and get a beer and you're like, no. I get anxiety with that. I don't like to do that. (laughs) I know. Here's the thing. This is how I feel that I will pay for that cocktail I ordered and didn't drink. But I will just also be like, okay, you take this back and I will pay for it. But like, can I have something else, please? <laughs> I should probably stop rambling <laughs> and hand it over to Tara to tell us about the history of one fabulous and fantastic Miss Brittany Murphy. Yes, but I do want to say something really quickly. I know probably new people are like, oh my God, shut up, get to the content. But it's important. I have to say this. So I had to go do a uh, post office run the other day and we got a card from two people. We got a postcard that was Star Wars themed from Jamie and we got a cute Halloween card from Cheryl. So I just wanted to say an extra thank you because we were so fucking excited. I literally called Jessica and shoved them in the camera. It was a fun time. So thank you. You guys made our day. No fucking lie, people. I thought something was bad that was happening. This is the afternoon. <laughs> Tara doesn't just call me in the middle of the afternoon. Like, she'll text me, like, today. She's like, do you have a minute? Can we talk? No, like, she just straight called me. And I was, like, my first thought is Little Bug is going to the hospital for something. She must have broken a leg. Like, something's <laughs> happening. Matt, the intern, isn't answering his phone. Like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Granted, I'm in California. There's nothing I can do. But good, I can be a great moral support. But yes. So yeah. Thank you guys. Uh, We appreciate it. And if you would like to send us any kind of cards or anything during the holiday season or any time, the P.O. Box stuff is in the show notes or on socials. Okay. Well, enough chit chat. We're going to get into this now. So Brittany Murphy. So Brittany was born on November 10th, 1977 in Atlanta, Georgia to Sharon Murphy and Angelo, quote, A.J. Bertolotti. And uh, they're two interesting folks. One we'll get into a little bit later. (laughs) So a quick rundown on Angelo, since he really isn't in this story a ton, in my part at least. He was a World War II vet and a mortician by the age of 21. After this, he delved into other interests. (laughs) He actually became involved with organized crime and made that career for himself. That's why I giggled. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how the story is that they met is that Angelo actually owned some strip clubs slash bars and discos, because this was the 70s, down in Florida, Georgia area. And she had actually approached him to work for him. I don't know if she was trying to be a stripper or a bartender or what. But anyway, that's all I met. And it was said that, quote, the young Sharon was attracted to the money influence to the dark side of society, where Bertolotti grew up in the mean streets of New York City, an Italian family that was very, very well connected. Okay, then. (laughs) 
There's a lot of quotes in here that are kind of dramatic and make me giggle. But here's the thing. This is a celebrity death. So a lot of our sources come from fun places. So this is very true. But even with all that attraction, they wouldn't stay married for too long. They would actually get divorced just after Britney turned two years old. And it was due to him being in and out of prison for his organized crime activities. So I guess she wasn't about that lifestyle like she thought she was. (laughs) She couldn't be a mob wife. She didn't know there'd be a TV show one day. (laughs) Right? Oh, God. But after the split, Sharon and Brittany moved up to Edison, New Jersey, where Sharon worked in advertising. And at the age of five, Brittany started showing an interest in performing and wanting to be on TV. Like she was that little kid that, you know, watched movie and she's like, I want to do that. So Sharon's like, okay, and actually enrolled her in the Vern Fowler's School of Dance and Theater, where she studied singing and performing. By the age of eight, Brittany was trying to get Sharon to get her headshots done and get a manager so she could go to (laughs) audition in New York City. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Right? A kid that knows what they want. Come on, you know? Oh, I mean, it's better than a kid being like, I think I want to play t-ball. No, I want to do soccer. No, I want to do gymnastics. And you're like, just pick a fucking thing and be excited about it for a while. True, true. (laughs) So Sharon would hold off for a few years, but finally moved into this direction of actually getting her into the acting industry when Britney was 12. And she would actually have some success on her auditions and stuff. She got a lot of commercial roles at this point. And she also got some small roles in Boy Meets World and another sitcom called Murphy Brown. She's in Boy Meets World? Apparently. I had no clue. Then by the age of 14, there would be a big change for the two Murphys. So Sharon and Brittany would make a cross-country move where they would end up in Burbank, California, because Sharon wanted to do this so Brittany could pursue her acting career a lot easier because a lot of the opportunities for film, that's where you got to go. So during this time, she became a regular on Drexel's Class, which was another TV show, and she also attended John Burroughs High School there in Burbank. That's where Bo went to high school. Oh my God, is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Now, Britney's breakthrough role would be Ty and Clueless, which I think a lot of people in our age group loved this movie or at least liked it or at least watched it once kind of thing on your radar. I loved it as a preteen. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I'm assuming I still love it. I don't know. It's just one of those movies that was like very iconic 90s. Now, something a little more about Sharon and Brittany. They were said to have a really close relationship all of Brittany's life. Makes sense. Sharon was a single mom raising her daughter that they would, you know, be close type of thing. Now, as far as the dynamics, you typically hear two different things. One is that the pair was more like best friends versus being mother-daughter type of dynamic. And that they described as being, quote, soulmates with each other. It's very Lorelai and Rory. That's true. Cannot relate, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And while others said that, Sharon gave off the controlling stage mom vibes. So I will say, to be fair, that is something to kind of pocket. So with the success of Clueless, she not only began to really catapult her career towards future success she has, but also we started to see some change with her as well. She dyed her hair blonde, and then she seemed to have lost some weight at this point. And of course, the industry always has the actors and actresses, you know, under a microscope. So some people kind of raise an eyebrow to be like, "Mm, what's that about? And I watched and Jessica watched as well. There's a recent ID special on her that came out in late May of this year. 
Overall, I liked it, but there was something that bothered the fuck out of me when I was watching this. There's a lot of some things that bothered the fuck out of me. This was like one of the first ones. So when they were talking about her and Clueless and her appearance, there was this dude whose name I didn't write down because I was like, fuck you. He was like, and this is a quote, she was typecasted as the fat, plump brunette. I'm sorry. No, she was not fucking fat. No. Someone tried to rationalize, not rationalize, but be like, okay, devil's advocate. He's putting it this way because in the 90s, super stick thin was beautiful and all of that shit. But it's like her and Alicia Silverstone and like they were all like the same size, basically. Well, you have to look at it like Brittany Murphy is also like several inches shorter than Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, she's 5'2". She's tiny. Right. And so... They probably weighed the same in reality. And Brittany looks like a normal teenager. Yeah. But I think what it is, is that like in the movie, she's supposed to be it's it's kind of like, what is it? The Jan effect on Greece, like where they have the girl who's supposed to play like the overweight big girl. And it's really someone who's not. Yeah. After Clueless, there was tons of other films she was in, such as Eight Mile, Girl Interrupted, Just Married, Sin City. She was one of the main characters on King of the Hill and Little Black Book. An Uptown Girl. And Uptown Girls. That was such a great movie. I'll be honest. I don't know if I've watched that. <gasps> don't watch it when you have emotional days. Okay. It's one of those, like, really sad movies where she, like, is the nanny and the parents don't pay attention to the kid. And Oh, I thought that was Little Black Book because it's Dakota Fanning. No, Little Black Book is the one where she, like, tracks... Oh, Rashida Jones is in this one. Where she tracks down, like, her exes, her boyfriend's exes. You're right. I knew what Uptown Girls is. You're right. I know what Uptown Girls is. Okay, anyway, sorry. Got confused. And she also was said to work on a pretty good list of indie films during the early 2000s as well. Fun fact, she was in the first Happy Feet movie. (gasps) She played Gloria. Aww. I had no fucking clue. She has, like, obviously she went to school for you know, singing and acting and stuff, but she actually has a good voice. And I was like, what the fuck? Why didn't I like know this? So I went and watched a video of her like recording one of the songs and I was like, okay, all right. And she had been asked about this too, because, you know, she didn't really talk about it or anything. And I pulled a quote from an interview and she said, my singing voice isn't like my speaking voice. I've just always kept it a secret and never taken credit because I wanted to learn how to work behind the microphone in a recording studio. And some of the singing don't even know it was me recording on their albums, end quote. So I thought that was interesting, but cool because she wanted to actually learn stuff in the industry. So Mm -hmm. and she was also in a music video for a song she did called Faster Kill. And it was totally early 2000s, like her whole outfit and the whole vibe. I was just like, oh, God, (laughs) this is dated. And I remember every minute of this. I just like early 2000s fashion was just so it was crazy. I remember thinking like because the area that Tara and I grew up in is this like little rural area and I would watch like MTV and I would see these like girls and remember when metallic pants were a thing? Oh god yeah. And like it took a while for it to hit where we live. And so like you would see these girls on these shows and be like I want to dress like them but then you dress like them and you're like oh this is so out of place yeah no thank you (laughs) oh goodness and um along with her career she of course would have a love life it was actually noted she didn't date much in her teens a lot of the articles were like she didn't actually start dating until she was an adult till she was like 21 or so because she was just 
focused on her career. Hmm. She did date some of her co-stars from her projects. She dated Eminem briefly, apparently, which I had no clue. That's amazing. Right. And ones that uh, if you guys do know about her, this one's not a shock. She also dated Ashton Kutcher for about six months. (laughs) It was so funny to see him so young. There was a clip I was watching of them. And she was like, yeah, we became really good friends. And it was about 10 or so months after the movie ended, that's when we started dating. So I guess like people were giving them shit about it or something. I don't know. I don't remember. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I just saw his face. I saw the same clip. And like her, his face was like, bitch, don't lie. Like we've been dating for a long time. <laughs> you could tell that like they probably had been like dating for a bit, but like weren't necessarily like in a relationship. Because she started off like he's such, he was such a good buddy. And just the little goddess face like, wait, am I in the friend zone again? Like I'm so confused. <laughs> And she would actually have two engagements prior to the husband she ended up having. The first was a Hollywood talent manager. His name was Jeff Kowatinets. I don't know. Sorry. They were only engaged for like four months in 2004. And then the other one would actually be a production assistant that she met on the set of Little Black Book. His name was Joe Mecaluso. And that was in 2005. With that... We are going to cue in another key person into this story, who is a piece of work. (laughs) I'm going to have Jess give you guys some context on Simon before I continue on with our story here. Okay, so a little background on Simon. So his name is Simon Mark Monjack, and it's spelled like it sounds, like M-O-N-J-A-C-K. Monjack was born on March 9th, 1970 in Hillingdon, Middlesex, England. He was born to William and Linda Monjack, and when Simon was 15, his father passed away from a brain tumor. It's noted that his mother was a hypnotherapist, which makes total sense if you watch anything with her. You'll just watch it and you're like, how are you thinking? Oh, you're a hypnotherapist. So Simon's career is a little different. So, and you're going to laugh at his last thing he's credited for. Oh, God, I can't wait. So he is a screenwriter, a film director, a film producer, and a makeup artist. Oh, okay. He's not like a legit makeup artist. I'll just like flash forward. He was a makeup artist on one of Britney's movies for her, and he insisted on being her makeup artist. Of course he did. He's not, like, an MUA, like, legit. Right. (laughs) So, in his career, it is noted that he actually only legitimately wrote a movie, Two Days, Nine Lives. It came out in 2000, and it was a B-movie, and it was from England. It really didn't get a lot of acclaim. I had never heard of it or anything. Even people who were, like, in the business were like, he made some weird movie that nobody knows about. (laughs) Yeah. Simon wasn't necessarily, like... The cool one. The only thing that he's really credited for is in 2006, the, a movie came out called the or called Factory Girl, which is a story uh, about one of Andy Warhol's actresses and models, Eddie Sedgwick. Basically, he was like, I helped write this movie because he has a credit for a screen screenwriter. However, according to director George which I love this last name, Hickenlooper. Right, it's fun. <laughs> Hickenlooper said that Monjack had nothing to do with Factory Girl. In fact, they affectionately nicknamed him Simon Conjack. <laughs> hmm. 
Oh, boy. Basically, it said that Monjack filed a frivolous lawsuit claiming that they had stolen the script from him. And basically what he did is he gave enough information to be like, I wrote this. This is what I wrote. And... It was basically, according to Hickenlooper, this is literally the quote, he held us literally hostage and we were forced to settle with him as he held our production over a barrel. So basically the movie was just like stalled because they couldn't do anything with him. It was just one of those things where he had nothing to do with it. And of course, his mother, Linda, is like, he's a fantastic, like if you watch that like Discovery one that we did like she's like he had such a way with words and he was amazing and we love him and he's fantastic and you're just like his only really claim to fame is that he stole credit that's what he did yep in 2007 he was slated to direct the adaptation of dm thomas's novel about sigmund freud called the white house tara's gonna tell you a little bit more about that but this is another thing he was accredited for, but it, nothing came into fruition. But what you should know is that Simon has a bit of a weird past. He was married three times total in his life. His second marriage was to Simone Buena, and they got married in Las Vegas, so like a quickie wedding, and they only were together for like a few months, maybe a year tops, and then they separated, but they didn't divorce until 2006. But Simon had a little bit of, let's say, legal trouble throughout his life. In 2005, he had warrants in the state of Virginia for credit card fraud and allegations of theft. I tried to search the internet for like what actually happened, but I think because the charges were eventually dropped, there's not a lot out there. And I don't think in 2009 when all this was ha- like coming out about Britney that people were really looking for what he did. Back then, we could say he was a thief and people went, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm, he's a thief. Yeah. Now we're like, prove it. (laughs) In 2006, Coit's Bank, um, which is a private bank that was founded in 1962 and is now part of the NatWest Group's Wealth Management Division, successfully sued Simon because he had been evicted out of four homes and he owed $470,000. So they sued him. And he was having to pay that. And that was in 2007, which is a very important year to remember in regards to Simon. And then two more interesting things happened in 2007 for him. In February, he was arrested because his visa had expired. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was actually, he actually spent nine days in jail at that time and he was facing deportation. But obviously he did not deport and we will talk about why in a minute. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then his ex-wife that same year would sue him because in the divorce he was supposed to pay her like $50,000. Because like his marriage to Simone was like really fucked up. Basically Simone had all of this money. She was like a TV host in England. You'll notice something about him is that he's very whirlwindy. like. Oh my God, I love you. Let's get married. Like that's kind of his his thing. And they got married and he moved into her house because he had no money. And when he moved into her house, he like instantly became a slob, started leaving shit everywhere. And she was like, absolutely fucking not. And they separated. So there is that. So I'm assuming something happened in the divorce where he had to pay her $50,000 and he didn't. So she um, sued him in 2007 and got 13 extra K, which I'm assuming she got paid because he had new purse strings. 
And then in 2008, this was the fun thing that I thought. Basically, Simon was accused in 2008 of having a bunch of illegitimate children. Oh. He had like this brood of children out of wedlock. And he didn't really confirm or deny it. And it never really went anywhere. Weird. Simon was very much like the fucking victim of life. Like, nobody liked him. Nobody thought he was good enough. And he was, like, really willing to tell you this shit. And because of that, I think he was just like, oh, this is one of those accusations they're just saying because, you know. Poor me. Mm-hmm. But with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Tara, and she's going to tell us about when they converged. Yes, yes. So, Brittany was working on another film called The Ramen Girl. One I definitely have not watched. I definitely know what the cover looks like, but I've never watched it. I haven't either. It was said that there's kind of like a few things, but like basically the moral of the story is that she ended up with this script that he wrote, which Jessica referred to. It's called The White Hotel. It's the one based on that novel she talked about. And she just had to meet the person responsible for this. It's all dramatic. And so, you know, she gave him a call and they agreed that when she got back to L.A., they would meet. And they had dinner at the Hotel Bel Air, which that actually turned into, quote, into the wee hours of the night. I love all these dramatic quotes. So please forgive me for my stupid readover voice. I just think it's funny. (laughs) No, it's great because it's like all like access Hollywood shit. (laughs) Yeah, right. And this is another thing that Simon's mom talks about in her fucking weird self, because I didn't realize she was a hypnotherapist. I miss that. Makes sense now. But she was like, he called me after they met and was like, Mom, I love her. And I said, you only met the girl. She basically pulled an Elsa to his honor. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, uh, like Jessica said, you know, it's no spoilers that Simon wasn't seen in the best light, especially with what we heard earlier and the whole like he pretty much found a way to get credit for a movie he had nothing to do with. But something I wrote down when I was watching the ID thing as well was that when she was talking about Simon, she was saying Simon would mistake fantasy for real life. I'm like, mm, that's a nice way of saying he a liar. Oh, my God. I totally remember that part of this. She's explaining him. And she's like, sometimes he just thinks that it's real life and it was fantasy. And I'm like, like, I'm going to call it like that's enabling. Like if your kid is living in a like there's a difference in encouraging your child, like an eight year old to live in a world where unicorns and Harry Potter is real. Yeah. That kind of imagination helps them create a problem solving and stuff down the line. But if you're like 30 something year old son is like, I fucking helped write this movie and had nothing to do with it. And he can't tell the difference between reality and not reality. Like there's a bigger problem there. You need like as a hypnotherapist, you need to like pull your kid aside and be like, let's have a session and like get you back on track. (laughs) Yeah. So the week after they met, Brittany had a PR event for a movie over in New York and he went with her. And from then on, it was said he never slept a night away from her, except when he had his little oopsie in jail with his whole visa thing for the nine days. And uh, (laughs) funny, guess what happens right after that? They were married very quickly. They got married on May 5th, 2007. And they were said to have been married by a rabbi at Brittany's home. And it was just a small group of guests that were there. And it was mainly people that worked for Britney or were the vendors for the event more than actual people that knew them. (laughs) 
Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to come. I could legitly thinking like if I was marrying someone that people were like, you shouldn't marry. And I looked out at my guests and there was like the caterer and the DJ and my assistant and my mom. Am I making the right choice here? I might need to reflect. Literally, his best man was her driver. So there's that. I should tell you something. What? <laughs> yeah. Goddamn, Brittany Murphy. Love is way blind with this situation. Because, like, that was the thing. At first, you know, people would say, like, she was, she would act so, so in love with him. And, you know, it's just this whole fucking thing. And I'm just like, okay, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but this is matching his previous marriage. So, first things first, what do you think happens? Simon moves in with Britney in the house she had owned. Which, fun fact, oh my god, it was the home that Britney Spears lived in with Justin Timberlake. Britney Murphy bought it in 2003. (laughs) I was, okay, like, I heard that, and I totally forgot they lived together, because, like, at the same time, do you remember that they they lived together, but they pretended like they weren't having sex? Yeah. They were like, Britney's like, I'm gonna be a virgin till I get married. Then they, like, moved in together, and everyone was like, are you sleeping in separate bedrooms? Because I'm confused. (laughs) <laughs> but I will say, hashtag justice for Britney. Fuck, come on. It's true. But anyways, <laughs> moving on. So yeah, so Britney Murphy, not Spears. Britney Murphy purchased the home in 2003, like I said, and she had purchased it for $3.8 million. And I will mention real quick, after everything that happens, it actually got sold for almost $20 because they had done a lot of upgrades and shit. Holy shit. Yeah. It was like $19.8 million, I think, but almost $20 million. Crazy. And it was also said that a lot of stuff were saying that Sharon immediately moved in with them after this. So I'm assuming she lived somewhere prior to this. But like in my brain with how things were with them, I would have assumed she was already living there before Simon moved in. So that's what like was a little muddy for me. From what I could understand is that like Sharon hit like a hard time about that time and they were so close. Like she probably, Brittany probably was like, I want to be my own person. I want to have my own place because that's what you do as an adult. And then her mom hits hard time and her mom supported her all this other time. So she's like, of course, move in with me, mom. Move in with me and my creepy new husband. Yes. And what that hard time was, Sharon actually went through a battle of breast cancer. So, of course, you know, Brittany is going to be there for her mom and take care of her and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it was also noted that Simon had a slew of health issues himself, including seizures, sleep apnea, and a rumored minor heart attack, which I'll get into later. But pretty much any time they needed her, she was there. Even though she was this tiny little five foot two, 115 pound girl, her husband's very much bigger than her. Like if he was having a seizure or whatever, she'd be right there trying to like help him not, you know, hurt himself or anything like that. Make sure he was okay. Everything. So she was just a very, very loving person and very like nurturing and stuff from what I gathered. But Simon was said to have isolated her very, very badly from any of her friends and things like that. And that he was so controlling. He had to have a say over every motherfucking thing. Like Jessica mentioned, he did her fucking makeup for a movie. So that's just a little bit. That basically, if there was a script or a project that he was like, he didn't want her working on, she didn't do it. And it was also during this time she had lost a little bit more. She had lost some more weight. So there was rumors that she was using like hard drugs such as cocaine with Simon. 
And there would also be some problematic behavior when she finally would be able to do a project. And basically, people would notice she looked high and then she would keep forgetting her lines or she would be demanding like, you know, all of these things that, yes, when you were kind of like higher up, sure, they might put up with some bullshit. But now, mm, not so much kind of thing. Right. And it had said like before, she wasn't really like a diva. She wasn't really right. like one of those type of people. And then all of a sudden she was. Yeah, he very much changed her in that aspect. And then it was also said by either a production manager or a director. I can't remember exactly which one that like, yeah, it was a known thing that Brittany would go with Simon and go do drugs or whatever off set. But it wasn't on set. So, you know, as long as she shows up and does what she's supposed to, like, I'm gonna stay out of it kind of thing. Right. But then again, she wasn't showing up and doing her job. Exactly. Like, basically, she was showing up and being a slob. Which, you know, that becomes problematic, obviously. And if you can't remember your lines, like, how are you going to do scenes, things like that? So her manager and the agency she was actually with, they just dropped her. They were like, no, fuck this. Right. She's not Marlon Brando. She doesn't get someone to read the lines into her ears and then just recite it. Like, that's not who she is at this point. Yeah, no. Along with that, because of all the rumors of, like, drugs and things like that, the production team of Happy Feet actually dropped her from the sequel. Oh. Yeah. That makes sense, actually, because it's a kid's movie. Yeah, because it's a family movie, and then they don't want to tarnish that brand, so get it. So things were not going so great for Britney at this time. So we're going to fast forward now to the last project she worked on, which was about six weeks prior to her death. So mid to late-ish 2009, just for reference for everybody. Britney was casted to be the like main role in this movie called The Caller, which was being filmed in Puerto Rico. So, of course, who do you think goes to Puerto Rico with her? Simon and Sharon, of course. And then they it was also noted they took their Maltese puppy with them, too. And I was like, oh, puppy. <laughs> but this would go downhill fast as fuck. So, of course, with this, because Simon's such a fucking liar, we're going to have conflicting things and all of that. So the first story from the production team was that she was fired after the first day because of, like, all this sketchy stuff. And then Simon was actually drunk on the set. but you know, she was defending him and stuff. And they're just like, no, you got to get him the fuck out of here. So uh, you can imagine how this fucking went when it broke. So it involved lawyers again, and it ended up being redacted. And they had to say it was a mutual parting. Well, it's a B movie to begin with. So they probably didn't have a lot of money. And Simon was obviously like he had a reputation within the entertainment community. They called him Con Jack instead of Mon Jack. And so like, I could see where like a movie like that, where you're like, we're not slated to make a shit ton of money. I'm not going to spend it in like legal fees. I'm just going to like say that we parted ways because that would be the easiest thing to do and then recast and move on versus like be like, no, this asshole showed up and go to court because he obviously got his way the last time. Why would they think any different? Oh, yeah. No, I totally don't blame them. It's more reason why I have attitude with it is because it's like, of course, he's doing this bullshit again to get what he wants and say what he wants. Right. And there's a couple in that documentary. Sorry, I keep bringing that up, but it was a good special. It was. There was some people in the entertainment industry, obviously, in this, and they were just like, on top of the nickname, he was just known as a liar and super shady. So like, <laughs> tread carefully, pretty much, is what they were saying about him. Oh, yeah. 
they all knew that. Everyone knew that. That's why no one wanted to be around him. People were legitimately concerned about Brittany Murphy because they were like, she's hooked up with this dude. And then they were watching her career fall apart and everyone knew who was doing it. There was no like fucking ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're like, he's doing this. He's pulling the strings in her in her world and she's falling apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a really good article done or really in-depth article done that I read from The Hollywood Reporter because Simon actually talked to this guy that wrote it. And according to Simon, Brittany was unhappy when she realized that The Caller was actually a horror film. If you look it up, it's it says it's like a supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. And she was under the impression when she took the role that it was a thriller. Oh. And that's why she left. Because Simon had told this guy who wrote this article that Brittany had said, quote, there's too much Santeria in it. And it was spooky. She told me, I've been offered lots of horror movies, but I've never done them. And I'm not going to start now. End quote. And that, like I said, she just pretty much decided, like, when they tried to cause shit with banning Simon from set, she's like, okay, that's the last straw. Bye. I honestly, like, I caught so much bullshit on that. Oh, I do too. Because of the fact that, like, at this point in time, she was basically, like, other than, like, King of the Hill. Well, that show had just ended, so she everything was, like, she needed it. Right, like, she, because, I mean, I think King of the Hill went past that time. But I think there was like a season break. Like, I want to say that there was like an in between. So she probably wasn't getting a paycheck at that moment. Yeah, it ended in um, 2010. So, yeah. Because they replaced her, I want to say. So when you look at it, she needed money. Like, I know she had money from other projects saved up, you know, being an actress. The girl who plays on Rain, who plays Mary, Queen of Scots, she did a TikTok about it. And it was very perfect where she talked about why... Actors go after everything that can give you a paycheck because at the end of the day, you pay all these people out, but you know that it could end tomorrow and you have to be able to be prepared to live off of that, whether you need to go to some sort of training or schooling or going to, you know, get a degree, that type of thing and transition. Yep. I think Brittany probably was like, I fucking need this. Yeah, I think the original story is probably a bit more accurate on what happened. Right. And I think also, like, Simon saw it as a free vacation. Oh, absolutely, because after all of that drama, they decided to stay eight more days so they didn't waste the trip there, a.k.a. he got his fucking vacation. Right. And you know that the studio probably flew them down, and they probably just flew themselves back and whatnot. So they basically got most of a vacation paid for. Right, exactly. But their vacation wouldn't be super fun because apparently Simon and Sharon both caught, quote, colds, which went with the scientific long name that they had listed. It's staph. It's a staph infection. Staphylococcus. Yes, thank you. I'm like, I'm not going to even fucking try. But staph, <laughs> long story short. So I'm like, OK, it'll kind of make more sense later. So on the flight home to LAX on November 28th, this is when Simon had his, quote, mild heart attack. And when Simon talks about this, because we know he's a big fat liar, he said that Britney was administering CPR on the plane. And uh, apparently Britney had been quoted on this and was saying it was just an asthma attack. It wasn't a heart attack. Well, I mean, when he was talking about it, she wasn't there to defend herself. This is true. Well, and you know what's interesting was I think this is after everything. They talked to his mom kind of about his health stuff and everything. and. 
she basically said that she thought he had Munchausen's because he would say he had all these ailments all the time and he was really dramatic about it and obviously liked the attention. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So was he more of like a hypochondriac? Basically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, he had health issues. Right. They were just exacerbated by, like, whatever he was feeling. Oh, yes. And, you know, of course, news tabloids, it would break out, like, Simon had this medical episode and Britney was replaced on the movie and it was just, like, all this drama. So things are just, like, dumpster fire, dumpster fire, dumpster fire right now. Not good at all. So apparently, because of all the drama, according to Simon, because this is a problem. A lot of this we have to rely on Sharon and Simon. Right. So Simon had said that him and Brittany had been talking about moving to New York City to get out of Hollywood, to get out of the scene a little bit and kind of like recoup type of situation and rejuvenate her career. And it was also noted that, you know, Brittany really liked working on indie projects and indie movies. And she thought that would be the good route to go to kind of jumpstart getting back on that momentum she previously had. Mm hmm. And also that she wanted to start a family and that this would be a good place for him to look for work as far as directing and producing and stuff goes. That makes sense. And it was also noted that it wasn't really noted. I didn't find too much why, but it was noted by both of them, by Sharon and Simon, that Brittany ended up hating the house like so much she didn't even want to stay in there that she would ask to be like, can we just go to the hotel? Can we just go stay somewhere else? And he'd be like, no, we have this giant ass mansion that has blah, blah, blah rooms like we should that we're paying for, a.k.a. Britney's paying for, you know, we're going to go home. We're going to go stay in it. So we are going to jump to the day of her passing. So this is December 20th, 2009. And oh, do we have a lot to unpack here? So, of course, a lot of this stuff comes from the 911 call we're going to get into and then stuff Sharon and Simon say. So let's start with the fact that Brittany ended up catching this cold slash staff that Simon and Sharon had. So she was still recovering at this point, but hadn't went to the doctor or anything. So the two of them, Simon and Sharon, stayed up after Brittany went to bed and were talking about this move to New York. And they had stayed up till midnight talking. Gross. And also, there had been a storm coming through this night, so power was going in and out. And I feel like they must have been up past midnight because it's noted that the power was out for 45 minutes, starting at like 2 o'clock, and they had to get flashlights and candles. They were like listing all this stuff like, it's the power went out. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Like, it's not that big a deal, but they made this whole fucking thing. Right. But anyway, it's noted that at about 3 a.m., that's when the power came back on for good and things were like back to normal. And And Brittany had actually woken up at this time and she went out to the balcony that was connected to her bedroom. And she told Simon, like, hey, you can you get my mom or whatever? And so he called her and he was like, hey, Brittany said she needs you right now. And so Sharon came down and she was like home one of the dogs, whatever. She came down and she said, quote, in reference to Brittany, she was lying on the patio trying to catch her breath. I said, baby, get up. She said, mommy, I can't catch my breath. Help me. Help me. And Simon had also added, she said to her mom, I'm dying. I'm going to die, mommy. I love you. And according to them... This was a regular thing, and she was just, quote, always so dramatic. And I've replayed that so many times. She asked if she could use the oxygen, but Simon said her heart could stop with oxygen. And anyway, then he had another seizure, a long, horrific seizure, end quote. So I can see where he has, like, Munchausen. She's going through something, and he has a seizure. hmm And after 
all of that. Sharon said that she made Brittany some tea, saying that she looked dehydrated, that her lips looked really parched, kind of blue. I'm like, um... So she made her tea? Yeah, she made her ginger and honey tea. Here you go. Dehydrating. She's not the smartest. Oh, no. And she's like, so she drank that. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, so that happened. And I'm assuming they went back to bed for a while. But fast forward to 7.30 a.m. And Brittany is still not feeling well. So she went to the bathroom, which was said to be like, Simon's really creepy. Let's just put it out there. He was like, this is her. This was her sanctuary. Da-da-da. Jessica will get into this more later. But anyway, so she's in her bathroom. And Sharon's in there with her. And Sharon recalled that she said, Mommy, I don't feel well. I really don't feel well. And this is when Brittany would collapse. And this was approximately 7.50 a.m. And Sharon said she yelled for Simon, who then came in and saw this because there was like a chase lounge. And he said that like that's where she collapsed. But he told her to call 911 and then he moved Brittany into the cold shower at this point for some reason. But that was not mentioned on the 911 call. So we're going to talk about that call. It was just under nine minutes in total. I listened to the whole thing. It's on a bunch of docs. But if you want to YouTube it, it's uh, in the sources page. So I have mixed feelings. I think it was just because when I originally watched this, because I rewatched it today and I was like, okay, I'm not as hostile. (laughs) But I feel like I was a little bit like, what the fuck? Anyway, so the thing that pissed me off this operator, I don't know why it's pissed me off, but I was he was talking to her and she's screaming her head off and she's freaking out, which I'm like valid because if your kid fucking collapsed and you think she's died. Anyway, I'll say my thoughts on it. I'll let you say yours because I just have some thoughts. That's it. He tells her, you don't have to yell. And I'm just like, you could try to be like, I know he's trying to calm her down, but I'm like, "Mm, wrong verbiage. I'm sorry. Wrong verbiage. I get it. I get it. But I don't know. Just rub me the wrong way. I get it. Because like, I listened to it too. And I was like, okay, he's really just kind of like very direct. But they have to be. I get it. They have to be. No, I understand. But Sharon was like all over the fucking place. Like one minute she's like, oh my God, my daughter's dying. And then she's like, hey, honey, honey. And you're like, the Jesus H. Christ just happened here. What in God's creation did did your personality switch? I'm super confused what's what's going on right now. Right. I know in that ID thing, it was very cut. So I don't know. Did you listen to, did you go to like the whole nine minute thing and listen to that or no? I listened to like a skipped around on it. Okay. Yeah. Like I get it. I get it. But some people because of that, because she's so all over the place and like calm one minute and freaking out the next, like some people think she was overacting to like compensate. We'll get to that in probably in theories and stuff. But it's like one disclaimer for anybody at us. Obviously, we're not going to judge how somebody reacts to trauma because like especially because not being in that situation, we can't say how we would feel, you know, and even so it differs per people. But I do have one thing to add at them. At least I know how to do CPR properly because I used to have that up to date for my old job. So, oh, my God, that pissed me off so much. (laughs) That was the one thing about the tape that I just was like, I could not wrap my head around is like, I could understand his frustration with her because he's like, he's going too slow. And she's Uh like, he's only counting every other. And he's like, no, he needs to count every single thing. And the thing that kept driving me crazy is like Simon was like not counting how many chest compressions he was doing because that's relative information that when the paramedics get there, they need to know how many times this 300 pound man was like pounding on this 115 pound girl. Mm -hmm. It's like they need to know what's been happening. And 
she's like, he's done like 200. And the guy's like, there's, he's done like a hundred. And she's like, but he was counting every other. And he's like, I know you got to count every one. And so finally the guy's just like, that's cool. Just start counting at 200. Then like Sharon refuses to engage on it. Yeah. It's a lot. But before that, because he's, I will say, just that one part pissed me off. Just the beginning, just like rubbed me the wrong way. But the rest, like Jessica said, he is trying to give her concise directions because obviously they don't know what the fuck they're doing. So he tells her like, hey, like make sure nothing's blocking her mouth, da da da, because he's asked like, did she throw up or anything? And she's like, yes, mainly water, but yes, she threw up. And they're like, okay, well check, make sure she's not choking on it, you know? And then she's like, I think her mouth's empty. And he's like, okay, can you look? Right. But like, I was trying to figure out where the fucking, because she's like, she threw out mostly water and I was like where the fuck is the water but if he put her in the shower he was basically fucking drowning her mm-hmm. my other thought was too like maybe she had been drinking water because it was like super early like maybe she wasn't eating anything there's also that it's true so we have that fucking headache of a thing of Simon half-assing or maybe doing CPR right we don't know because basically all we can hear is Sharon screaming her head off and then it gets really really quiet because I-, I don't know if she's went to a different room went downstairs what but it gets like dead quiet operators like hello hello like what the fuck and you know then we get to the part where he's like trying to get him to count whatnot and then luckily thankfully the paramedics fucking get there they got there at about 8 a.m so basically the whole call like that's just how like just under 10 minutes they got there and Brittany is still alive at this point. They said she did have a very weak pulse. So, of course, they rush her to the hospital. She was taken to Cedar sinai Medical Center. And sadly, she would die due to cardiac arrest at 10.04 a.m. Now, I want to paint a picture for you guys real quick. When the authorities get here, because this is a little bit problematic, a little bit, a little bit. There's sarcasm in that. They, right off the bat, mention that Simon's just acting fucking weird. And just like us, they're not trying to judge someone. He's just been through a traumatic event with his wife. He tried to do CPR on her. That's scary. They think he's high. And when they're doing the the walkthrough and everything, because, you know, they got to process the crime scene, they find some more stuff. They find a fuck ton of prescription bottles. And I don't mean like 10, 15. No, 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 no. They find 90 just in his name alone. And then there's more that are in Britney's fucking name. And these medications were not just like, you know, ibuprofen, like prescription ibuprofen. It was like legit stuff, like hard stuff. It was medication for his seizures. There was anxiety and depression medication. And they even had hard painkillers. It'd come out later that he and her, you know, because he fucking made her do everything. He doctor hopped so he could get med- the medicine he wanted from multiple doctors without trying to set off too many red flags and he had Brittany do it too because he tried to be like I like to be holistic no you just like to hoard drugs there's a difference that's the thing like because they were like we're holistic and my thought is that's not what holistic is holistic is you go and you see alternative medicines like physical therapists for like back pain or chiropractic or you go and for migraines you do like acupuncture that's like holistic you you take herbal supplements versus like fucking hydrocodone mm-hmm. the fact that they kept saying like oh we're holistic no you just don't go to doctors unless you can get meds from them and and i have a i definitely have a theory on why Brittany didn't go to the doctor but we'll get there later and another red flag that came up was that simon tried to tell them that he didn't want an autopsy done and there they didn't need to do one they were like um what excuse me right because she's a 32 year old woman who uh appears to have been in 
rather decent health overall, so she shouldn't have just dropped dead like this. Something's going on. Right. And also, in my brain, and I'm sure theirs too, it's like, why the fuck wouldn't Sharon and Simon want answers? We're going to get into that. But I'm just like, when I'm first like researching this, I'm like, how could you not want to know what happened to your wife slash daughter unless you already fucking know what the fuck has happened? I just smirked at her. <laughs> <laughs> So Ed Winter is the guy who did the autopsy. He's also he also name dropped like 50,000 fucking celebrity names that he did, like Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. High profile was his point, but it was a fucking list. I'm like, dude, calm down. Calm down. We don't need to know them all. Yeah. He is the corner of the celebrities. Yeah. It's like a weird thing to want. It's like a weird flex. It's a weird flex. I mean, very few people have seen the inside of a celebrity and he has seen a few. So, yes, this is true. Moral of the story was that they told them they were like, the only way y'all are going to get the fuck out of this is if you get lawyers involved or you come bring me a letter from like your rabbi saying I can't do this because it's against my religion. What have you? Of course, they didn't fucking do this because they had no good reason. Right. So they did the exam. The fact that she was so young and appeared to be in somewhat good health, it basically, she had just been telling people she had had a cold or the flu for a few weeks. The fact that this would happen, like, I would think that even, like, a religious person would be like, we got to know what's going on. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, I could understand if she was 92 and, you know, had been exposed to some horrible thing. I mean, people do die of staff, but, like, it's not that bad. And it was, like, weeks after she'd been exposed. So she should have been getting better, not worse. And with the fucking pharmacy they had in their nightstands, one would think that they would have been able to make a cocktail that have kicked that bitch. Yes. And so, obviously, it got out that it was Brittany Murphy that they went and responded to and was dead and all that. So, of course, like, anytime a celebrity dies, it just spreads like wildfire super fast in the media. And, of course, people started speculating, like, was this a drug overdose? Did she have an eating disorder? Because, like I said, she had also been, you know, like, continuously losing weight. So people were speculating, speculating, speculating. So they did the autopsy of the toxicology report and everything, and that would come back about two months later. And... On there, I'm just going to give you guys the quick rundown because I obviously on my end, like by myself, rabbit hold, but it's like I'm not going to impede on Jessica's stuff she's got. So we're just going to kind of go over this a little bit. So according to the autopsy, the cause of death was community acquired pneumonia with the contributing factors being of iron deficiency, anemia and multiple drug intoxication. Now, he was kind of like, wait, 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 don't get too riled up. Basically, he was trying to say at first because there's like a everything's kind of jumbled, but he was basically like. The things that we found that she was taking would make sense for someone trying to fight a cold. You know, it wasn't supposedly anything too crazy. And then they focused on the fact that she had this anemia and they were like, oh, this came from her having heavy menstruation cycles. So that's why people didn't really know about this. <laughs> I call so much bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, is that even a thing? I literally Googled it. And here's the thing. It can be a thing, but it's like so, so rare. So fucking rare. So it's like how convenient. Right. Like I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So like I know what a heavy menstruation will be. Sorry, TMI guys. But like I've been tested and I'm not anemic. It would basically be like she would be like the woman in the Bible. Continuous. And if she did have an eating disorder, which some people think she did most of the time when you're on the anorexic scale, you don't menstruate. Right. Kind of like a bullshit thing they added in, possibly. Or it could have been, but it would have been like very, very teeny, teeny percent chance. 
And when he was talking about it, he was like, basically, this mix of like cold medicine is what did her in type of thing. And essentially, then he also added in that his theory was like she caught a regular cold or staff or whatever from Simon and Sharon. But since she was immune compromised, that it escalated to pneumonia and then her body couldn't fight it off. And then that's why she died. That's what they wanted to go with at first. There are some other questionable things that come up, but that goes into theories. So we're going to pocket that for Jessica here in just a minute (laughs) or a little later, I should say. But yes. So people who are screaming at your phones, car radios, whatever, don't worry. We didn't miss it. There's more. It's going to be coming a little later. (laughs) So they would actually have the service fairly quickly. The funeral for Brittany was on Christmas Eve, and she would be laid to rest at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Los Angeles insane as someone who has helped plan three funerals like i i get it that they have money but like that shit takes time like this shit was rushed Mm -hmm. and also sharon would not allow angelo to come to the service at all now i understand he was not necessarily the greatest guy or what have you but she made the excuse oh he's gonna talk to the media he's gonna do this and that so no he's not allowed to come blah 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 which i'm like that's fucked because that's That was his daughter. Sorry. It's still fucked. Well, in Sharon's defense here, basically he dips out because being part of the organized crime community is more important. And then suddenly Brittany has this huge, you know, box office seller in Clueless. And then he resurfaces in her life because she has money. And, you know, I think Sharon was probably like I would be if I was a single mom and like took care of this kid and basically gave up my whole life so that my daughter could have her dreams. And then suddenly it happens and it's like the fucking end of Waterboy when that dad shows up and is like, we can be like the Tiger Woods. You know, it's like, no, get the fuck out, dude. Like, where were you when there was diapers that needed to be changed? Where was you? Where were you when like she had a bad day at school? Like you weren't here, but now she has money and you want to be her best friend. Yeah, I I get that completely. But at the same time, it's kind of just like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, right. she's a little suspect. No, I, I mean, a thousand percent. I just had to play the devil's advocate there. Oh, no, it's fine. But before I hand it to Jessica, we are going to take a quick break. We are going to have another fun ad for you from our friends at Manscaped. We will be right back. Support for Three Speak Girls comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your man's family jewels. If you don't know about Manscaped and the importance of trimming below, this is the time to hop on the trend. This isn't just for men out there, but this can be for ladies, too. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin safe technology, so the trimmer reduces cuts on your man's nuts. It's waterproof, which prevents a mess, and it has a light on it as well. Dude, that light is amazing. It almost can be a flashlight by itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's bright. Yeah. The Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their hot new Perfect Package 3.0, which makes the perfect gift for this holiday season. It's literally everything your man needs to keep him trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. The Perfect Package will also come with a pair of manscaped boxers that keep his junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to this new one. And I will tell you, they are soups comfy. Oh my god, yes. I love them so much. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SPOOKEDGIRLS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SPOOKEDGIRLS. Naughty or nice, this is the number one gift on Santa's list. Hop on this trending sled today. 
All right. Well, welcome back, guys. I'm going to hand it over to Jessica because she is going to pick up in our timeline from here. Yes. So basically, like Tara mentioned, Simon starts acting really confusing after Brittany's past. And more stuff will come out a little later. But after Brittany's death, people started coming out and really being like, oh my God, what the fuck happened? In fact, remember our dear friend Hickenlooper? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. From earlier, the guy that like was the director that was pissed at him. He actually came out and publicly said, I only hope that this creep wasn't instrumental in her sad demise. So I think that that kind of proves at this point, people were like, there's something fishy with this dude. We need to look into it. So like most celebrities do when there's controversial, they end up going on talk shows to like talk it out. But he went on Larry King. And if you don't know who Larry King is, because you weren't alive when he was, you know, being a lizard person on TV. Okay, I love Larry King. I want to say I feel like he is probably one of the greatest journalists of our time because he got to interview all these amazing people. Heard he was a bit of a creep, a little handsy, but like, you know, for the most part, I think he asked like some pretty amazing questions. Like he did the whole Ramsey case and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that he did look like the lizard ring from Ringo. You guys remember <laughs> that movie? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Sharon and Simon go on Larry King. Mind you, Sharon is just a weird ball of emotions the whole time. And I get this. I grieve in a compartmentalized way. Tara knows this. I talk about it. I've talked about it in the past. I put it in little white boxes and just don't deal with it. These little like acrylic white boxes that like business cards come in. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's just like how I visualize what I'm dealing with. Mm. And some people can't control their emotions. Well, Sharon is like goes from like sobbing to laughing to crying to angry to like and i'm like okay we have just gone the rainbow of emotions here like you have hit every spectrum yeah but that's cool like just you're on larry king and in fact simon will say later people think we should be androids and just you know not but like it's like no you don't go on a show like that if you can't like get your shit together because you're trying to like defend your asses so larry king asks why didn't britney go to the doctor if she was so sick that this she died from this And Simon is quoted saying, and I literally like messaged Tara the second I heard this, like paused it and was like, what the fuck? He literally (laughs) said, I'm a rabbi, not a doctor. I pray, not prescribe. This is the same guy that said the reason earlier in like interviews and like in the investigations that the reason that Brittany didn't go to the doctor is because they tried to do it holistically at home with their cocktail of craziness in their in their nightstands. That's what the book should be called is a cocktail of craziness in their nightstands. Yeah. Ooh. He was just like, she was going to go to the doctor soon. She just didn't quite make it. That kind of thing. Again, 32-year-old, relatively healthy, still shouldn't have died of pneumonia. I've had pneumonia. And if you're taking care of it, like you go to the doctor, you can get better. And as we've noted, that Brittany didn't do anything that Simon didn't approve of. And obviously, he didn't approve of her going to a doctor. So the question on everyone's mind is, why didn't they get an autopsy? So, you guys ready for this clusterfuck of a mess right here? So, Larry King looks Simon in the face and asks, what was the reason for you not getting an autopsy? And Simon is quoted, and I had to listen to this seven times to write this the fuck down. To us, it was such a shock. This pristine body that is curvy in all the right places, skin like silk. What kind of insanity is that? They like to cut it open, essentially. He's so disgusting. I cannot. 
Right. And he says, like, her mother was there. Like, how could I do this to her mother? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I get that people grieve in their own way. But if my wife, if my spouse, if my child died of unknown causes, yes. And Tara, I'm on here right now to say, and everyone on here, (laughs) if I die of suspicious circumstances, fucking get an autopsy. That's my wish. 100%. And what was so... What was so weird about that, too, was like, obviously, we get the creep vibes from him. But Sharon was like, it would be unfathomable to do this. It wasn't like she was in a car accident. And I'm like, but it kind of is because it was a sudden death. Right. It's actually the opposite, Sharon. If she had died in a car accident, you might not need an autopsy because you would be like, she died in a fucking car accident. You would know. Yeah. But like the fact that she died in her bathroom or like fell in her bathroom and died a couple hours later, like that shit should have been like, oh, maybe we want to know what's going on. Exactly. Another fun fucking thing that came from this interview is that Larry King addressed Simon's reputation and he actually called him something called a Svengali, which comes from this like character in this like turn of the century, like 1894 book that actually like John Barrymore, which I'm pretty sure is like Drew Barrymore's like grandpa, great grandpa. (laughs) It's like the character, but then the definition of the word is a person who exercises a controlling or mesmeric influence on another, especially for sinister purposes. So he calls him this, right? He said, people think you're a Svengali. And he looks at him and goes, a Svengali? I should be so lucky. I I fucking cannot. The fucking fucky fuckity fuck fuck. Like right here, right now, literally, I wrote, what the fuck? Also, to note that when he says this, sorry, I'm getting a little heated. It's okay. Sharon fucking giggles like it's the funniest thing anyone has ever fucking said. Mm-hmm. The fact that, like, someone has just accused your son-in-law of being a person who manipulated your daughter and you just chuckle at it. Like, I, if I really thought, like, I would have been like, no, he's not. Like, he cared about her. He loved her. He took care of her. Yeah. You know, no, she giggled at it like it was, I mean, maybe she didn't know the definition of the word. Maybe he didn't know the definition of the word. But I also would have been like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. But he was like, oh, I should be so lucky. Like, did he think a Svengali was like a person in Hollywood that was like really up and coming? Possibly. I mean, he's he's creepy and stupid. So it could go either way. This is true. <laughs> right. However, he did say, not in this interview, but like in a different interview, he did say, my problem is, and I was like, what do you mean my problem? I don't get it. He's like, my problem is that I don't look like Ashton Kutcher, nor do they, he means Hollywood elite, like the fact that she, Brittany, married someone not famous. Here, stars like stars to marry other stars. And so basically his whole thing is, is like, I'm a Hollywood outsider. And then I was like, I was watching this Stephanie Harlow and she like started naming off like all these people. Like, I'm pretty sure like Nikki Hilton is married to like an accountant. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure like Tina Fey is married to a composer. There's like a ton of people out there who are just married to like regular people. Dude, yeah. And I get why celebrities marry other celebrities just because it's kind of like if you hang out with these people on a regular basis... That's who you would date because they're the people in your circle. Typically, unless you're on like a dating app, you're not interacting with people that's not in your circle. So the fact that like she met this guy and technically he would be considered part of her circle because she met him. Yeah. So anyway, 
basically, people think there's just something fucking weird that's going on. People are like, what's happening? And Simon does the opposite of what you think you would do in this situation. Most people would be like, I'm grieving. I need some time. Like, no, what he does is he invites Radar Magazine to come over to quote unquote tour the death house. And if you haven't seen this, it's literally like an episode of MTV Cribs. I know some of you are probably too young to know what the fuck that is, but basically that's what it is. I always wanted to be on MTV Cribs, let's be honest. Dude, me too. And then uh, I had the illusion shattered when somebody outed JoJo for using a house that wasn't hers. What? That house was stupid. <laughs> right? It was like like a normal like beach house. But yeah, apparently that wasn't her house. And then she was like, uh, I didn't want people to see my privacy. Then why the fuck are you going to sign up for MTV Cribs? It probably was like a publicist thing. Like, you need to do this. Yeah. Because you're becoming irrelevant. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> you have to do RV now so people know. <laughs> anyway, and then her song applies. Get out right now. Anyway. <laughs> so people were like, okay. And obviously Simon is still living in this house and he hasn't fucking cleaned it up at all. Okay. Like I get that like people when like someone dies and it's been like a couple of months, you don't like take their clothes out, but like you clean up their shit. You see pictures of her bathroom, and her bathroom is just fucking, like, atrocious. It looks like it hasn't been cleaned in forever. It has more products than Sephora can ever have. Oh, God, yeah. It's literally, like, every inch of counter, tub, like, rim, everything is just covered in products. And he's talking about Britney, like, she's alive and doing a press circuit. Yeah. She loved her makeup and her skincare and her hair products, and it's so great. And then they go into her closet, and he, like, obviously, she went to these big fancy things, so she has a ton of beautiful clothing. And he's, like, he picks up this, he's, like, she's into Dior and... Dolce and she's into like Louis Vuitton and like is listing Gucci, like all these things. And then he just like picks up a jacket and he goes, Oh, I've never seen her wear this. It's so cute. I wonder why she hasn't worn it. And then like put it back. And I'm like, The fuck do you think she's coming? Like, do you think she's coming back, you insane person? But he would stay in the house for quite some time. Also, another really fun thing to note about this particular thing is that they literally, like, on these shows, they just roll tape all the time. And then they slice what they want. He's literally sitting there smoking a cigar. And he's smoking it. And then he looks over and he sees the cameras on him. And he gives a big cheese smile with the cigar in his mouth. And I'm like, dude, you just lost your wife. What the fuck are you doing? I don't know if he was, like, not processing it. I get it. I understand compartmentalizing. But, like, there's a difference in, like, honoring your spouse that has passed and, like, exploiting them for attention, which was what he was doing for sure. Oh, totally. Totally. However, on May 23rd of 2010, Sharon calls 911 again at, I want this to stick in your head, 920 at night. She calls because she has found Simon in the master bedroom, laying in bed, unconscious and unresponsive. You know, and the paramedics arrive within like four minutes. It's like really fucking fast. And she's on the phone and she's like, oh my gosh, I don't know like what to do. He's not breathing. There's nothing. And the, you know, the paramedic is like, ma'am, you need to get him on the floor. And she's like, I can't. He's huge. He's gigantic. And they're like, what? Like, (laughs) the person is so uh, taken back by this, like, person calling 911. Like, basically, like, he's fat. I can't get him on the floor. That's basically her tone. Like, he's gigantic. 
the paramedic or the the dispatcher's like, well, okay, we'll like remove the pillow and like try to like do something. And then the paramedics get there and they basically, you know, start to try to resuscitate him. And he doesn't have a pulse like and they they call it. So she calls at 920, right? At 945 p.m. he's pronounced dead. So like 25 minutes later. So fast. Right. Just gone. They obviously take him into the coroner's office and he, there's an autopsy done on him and he has acute pneumonia with severe anemia, which is the exact fucking thing his wife died of almost literally five months to the day. Hmm. Another really fucking creepy thing that happens on these 911 calls is Sharon calls Simon baby. Mm hmm. On both of them. Mm hmm. On both of them. That's right. And on the first one, I thought maybe she was talking to Brittany. Same, same. Yeah. But re-listening to it, you can tell. Right. And on the first one, she also talks to the dog. So that's weird, too. She goes, Clara, how many how many counts is daddy on? And I'm like, Clara's a dog. You just asked their fucking Maltese. <laughs> like, that dog is like, what the fuck is happening? Why is daddy beating mom? Like, that's all that dog knows is something's wrong. But she calls him and she's like, come on, baby, come on, like to him. And I'm like, that's weird. Mm. I was like, oh, my God, Tara, what the actual fuck? So they take him away and Sharon is still at the house. And Ed Winter, who is like the fucking hero of the story, assistant chief coroner, hears that fucking Simon Monjack just died. So he immediately, like whatever he's doing, he drops it and rushes over. And he starts going through the nightstands again because he remembers and he wants to get in there and get the shit that he needs. Because I think before he had gotten there, so many other people had touched stuff. So he rushes in and he fucking finds that there's still all of these. There's like more, there's way more of them now they find this guy like this guy named trevor williams like he has prescriptions in his nightstand and um here's a really weird one good old ed finds on the other side of the bed in the other nightstand some prescriptions that are made out to a sharon monjack and they were like why are your prescriptions in here and she was like Oh, because we're sharing the bed to comfort one another. Wait, it was her first name and his last name? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know about you all, but uh, the weirdest thing, I mean, there's so many weird things, but one of the fucking weirdest things about this case is that within five months of her daughter being dead, Sharon is sharing the bed with her daughter's widower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was, people were like, look, people grieve in their own way. No, 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 no. That's inappropriate no matter what. Because that means either A, you were having some sort of a relationship before. Maybe it wasn't physical, but there was some sort of like connection. Now your daughter is dead. And as someone who has lost my, I've lost my mom. I haven't lost a daughter. But like, I would think... I know you know what I know someone who's lost a daughter and that is not mm -mm, I'm sorry I'm calling bullshit on this like that's not a thing I get that people grieve in their own way but I really don't think this is the kids are all right or not the kids are all right this is us or whatever that movie is with Tina Fey and Adam Driver and Jason Bateman this isn't that moment where you hump your way to happiness like that's that's a movie this is crazy and if people want to at me for it that's fine 
And the fact that her stuff, it wasn't just like she had a prescription bottle in there. Like she came in one day and set it down and left. But she had like her stuff, like her glasses and everything was like on the fucking nightstand. Yeah. So it's obviously hers now. Right. And she admits to it. Later on, she takes it back. Now, fucking Simon's mom in England is like, this isn't right. Like this isn't a thing because he would have told me. I don't think like you admitted earlier he lives in a fantasy world. So I don't think he's going to admit to his mother, who is a therapist of sorts, to be like, um, I'm sleeping in the same bed, possibly having relations with the mother of my deceased wife. I don't know how anyone would react in like, a, oh, okay. Like, I'm pretty sure she'd be like, I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Yeah. Also, her proof that he didn't do this is that Simon only dated young and beautiful women. And obviously Sharon is not young and beautiful. So therefore, she could not have done it. I was like, what the wow. fucking backhanded asshole cop? Like, no, Sharon's ugly and not young. So she can't be sleeping with my son. Also, it's noted that the press were like, how are these two seamlessly healthy people just suddenly dying? Uh, Simon was not healthy. He had a slew of issues. He had seizures. He had all these other things. So he died, which is so weird because he died of the same thing that Brittany died of. Like, it's so weird. Unless they're just like generically handing things out in L.A. County. Right. Yeah. But now let's start talking about conspiracy theories. Yes. We're going to start with Angelo, the dad. So he basically, like Tara said, wasn't allowed to grieve and come to the funeral and all this shit. And he wanted to know, like, he was demanding of Sharon, like, what the fuck happened to our daughter? Rightfully so. And obviously, like, he was carrying the energy that Sharon should have also had. Yeah. But didn't. Sharon was like, there's nothing to know. And... He asked the question, like, he's the one who publicly asked the question, why wasn't she going to the doctor? Right. He looks into what the autopsy said, because there was an autopsy done. And it was the anemia he really stuck on. And one of the things that he rabbit holed down is that he found out that arsenic poisoning can cause anemia. He basically was like, I wonder if she was poisoned and like arsenic is used in rat poisoning. So here's where this is like a conspiracy theory and not like a 100% known as fact. So basically somehow Angelo, who has like no contact with the family really, acquired from the LA County coroner's office hair from Brittany. Now here's the problem with that. Brittany in her will left everything to Sharon. And at first I was like, oh, well, maybe she wrote her will like pre-marriage. No, no. It specifically says in the will that he gets nothing and Sharon gets everything. Oh, fuck. Yeah. No, it's like, it's a thing. So with this, Sharon is basically the executive of Britney's estate. So like she would have to, I'm pretty sure she would have to sign off giving the coroner permission I mean, granted, he is her father, but like she was an adult. So it's like weird. I don't really know all the details. But anyways, so he basically says that he got a hold of some of her hair from the LA coroner's office and that he went to a place in Colorado, like a third party and had it tested and then found this expert to like weigh in on it. And the expert was like, there's really high levels of metal in her hair. And so he's like, obviously she's been poisoned. But here's the issue with hair. Your hair comes out of your follicles and it's dead. And basically it's like the reason why they tell you that like your hair holds on to things is because think about it as like a little time capsule of like what you put into your body. So 
they were like, okay, so if this was in her system for a while, it would show up in her hair. Problem is, Brittany is, has like dark ass hair and she was blonde. So that means she's coloring her hair quite often. And who knows if she's like, because she's not working, if she's going to like a salon and like a lot of color has heavy metals in it. Yeah. It's a tainted thing. They ran toxicology against her tissue that they took during the autopsy and they didn't find any heavy metals. So that kind of put an end to that. So there's another conspiracy theory about mold. Mm, Yeah, this is a big one. The L.A. coroner's office investigated if there was mold in her system, which, spoiler alert, there wasn't. This would make sense. Like, you have two people who die within a five-month period. So they're thinking, there has to be something in this house that's causing this. So according to a 2014 study, 7 million deaths are linked to indoor and outdoor air pollution with mold every year worldwide. Wow, that's crazy. And according to the Illinois Department of Public Health, mold can trigger asthma attacks in people who are allergic to molds, causing wheezing, chest tightness, and shortness of breath. A disease like pneumonia may also develop after exposure to mold, but this is uncommon. Gotcha. So there's a possibility, but there's a low probability. Yeah. And you would think that after Brittany died, if she'd had toxicity from a mold, they would have told Simon and Sharon and they would have cleaned the house. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like I said, there was no trace, but Sharon wouldn't let the authorities at first come into the house and look for mold. She later says, no, I let them, but they just didn't come. Okay. They're trying to fucking investigate this. Why wouldn't they come? Exactly. Inside Access actually went out to the house and they found that the house was like in parts was like tented up and had like tarps on it. So they're like assuming that there was mold there because there was like some other things that happened, like a leaky water heater that could have had mold. The way the house sat was at like the bottom of a bunch of hills. They all converged in on the property. So the drainage would be like their property. So therefore it could have mold. Sharon actually would file a lawsuit and win in 2000. 13 against the home builder for $600,000. So though we don't definitively know um, if there was mold in the house, we do know that she had no toxicity levels in her body from mold. So we can say that theory is debunked. Yes. So there was a rumor going around, like Tara mentioned earlier, that Brittany and Simon would leave set and go get high. Specifically, they would be smoking crack cocaine. And I asked myself, do I think that crack cocaine could lead to this? And the answer kind of is sort of. Yeah, maybe. According to the Vertava Health Clinic, who is accredited experts in behavioral health that help patients with substance abuse and concurring mental illness, they quoted this report that was put out by the Radiology Society of North America, the RSNA, and their paper tells us that smoking crack cocaine may cause various forms of pneumonia, including organized and aspiration I don't think I'm saying that right, but okay. Pneumonia. It may cause pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary edema for excess fluid in the lungs. Certain other complications such as pulmonary hemorrhaging may also prove fatal. So Tara mentioned that they found a bunch of stuff in her autopsy. And one of the things they found in her autopsy was methamphetamine. Regardless of you want to say if it was long-term or not, Brittany did have contact with drugs. She was rumored to be doing crack with her husband. So if she was like, if she'd caught in a flu or staff, 
and was continuously doing drugs, her immune system would be lowered and it could actually cause the reason that she has had pneumonia and died. Which, if Simon continued to have a drug usage after her death, he could have died of the same thing. But do we know? No, we don't know. No. I mean, honestly, like, I think when you take into the fact the story that they say that happened is that she woke up at, like, three. She was up for, like, four hours. She went out on the balcony and told her mother that she was dying. I'm gonna be really honest. Like, I've told the story about the red line, the energy drink, and... Basically, methamphetamine is speed and it speeds up your heart. I was laying on the floor thinking I was dying from an energy drink. I couldn't imagine what would happen. So, like, if she was in a weakened state, it may have killed her. Yeah, definitely. Which is so heartbreaking, you know? Right. Super heartbreaking. Also, oh, I forgot to mention one thing about the mold. I'm going to backtrack a smidge. So... With the mold, Sharon was recovering from breast cancer, which meant her immune system was really low. Right. The woman who raised me, my mom, when she passed, she passed of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they told my dad, like, you have to make sure the house is clean. Like, you have to make sure that there's no mold because it could kill her. And I would think that if anyone was going to get sick, it would be Sharon from all of the shit that happened with her cancer. Right. So now we're going to get into like a conspiracy theory that you're going to all be like, oh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so there was this woman by the name of Julia Davis, or as known as the government whistleblower. So basically, she was born in another country and she was a stunt double. And according to her story is when she was a stunt double, she met Brittany Murphy because she actually was a stunt double for someone like Angelina Jolie. So I'm assuming that she's trying to say like they met on Girl Interrupted. Gotcha, gotcha. Which I'm like, oh, cool. And they became quote unquote friends. And according to Julia, on July 4th of 2004, she basically was done with the whole like trying to be an actor stunt double thing and wanted to change a pace so she'd become like a border patrol slash customs officer at the the border in like San Diego area and she had been told that that day that there was a terrorist attempt or was possibly a terrorist attempt where people from like Al-Qaeda were going to be sneaking themselves in the country through Mexico so they had to be extra careful. While she was on duty that day she saw another employee wave like 23 people through without checking anything right? So she got awfully suspicious and went to report it but because it's July 4th of 2004 her direct high up wasn't there because obviously they were off for the holiday. She decided to go up the chain of Homeland Security. And this was a problem because this was something she wasn't supposed to see and basically was told to mind her own business and she didn't. And then she was like, apparently like, I think she was like, go. And then all this other shit was happening. She felt like she was being threatened by the Department of Homeland Security. Let that sink in people. One person Department of Homeland Security, just like fucking with this person. So because she's friends with Brittany and Brittany's a star, she goes to her for help asking for her to advocate, which Brittany being an amazing person was like, sure, I'll help you. And her and Simon, which I'm kind of like Simon and Brittany weren't together in 2004. So I don't know when you went to them, but okay. Basically, she went to them and was like, and they were like, we'll help you. And then they all got really paranoid because she felt like the Department of Homeland Security was putting her, her friends, and family on surveillance. That included Brittany and Simon. And basically, to summarize the story, Julia thinks that the U.S. government 
the Department of Homeland Security poisoned Brittany and Simon to shush them up. Oh. They even went as far as to... Now, I want to tell you something. Now Julia is on. And mind you, up until this... Uh, up until like a few years ago, she was known as the whistleblower, right? And it was this big thing that like people were letting people in the country illegally. And that was a thing I remember hearing back in the day. But I didn't know that like Brittany Murphy was involved. They made a documentary called Top Priority. She actually went to Angelo... And got him all whipped up and involved in this. So it's this like big thing and he's giving interviews and they're talking and Sharon is just like, what the fuck is happening? And they make this whole big thing and they're saying like Simon was paranoid, which I get because he had like 56 cameras on his property and like all this shit. And I get that he was paranoid, but I thought that was more or less so he could like control what she was doing when he wasn't home. Like, you know, that like whole why was so-and-so over type thing. Mm-hmm. And she makes this whole documentary with her husband. And it, now she's on the Department of Homeland Security's watch list for fucking sure. Yeah. <laughs> so she thought she was on surveillance before. Like, bitch, you like intensified that. Yeah. However... There is no evidence to support the claim that Julia is making. There's not even evidence to support that Julia and Brittany ever met face to face. The only evidence that Julia can like produce is this letter that she wrote to Brittany asking her because she's a good person to help her, which Brittany did not even reply back herself. Her agent replied back that Brittany knew nothing of this and would not be weighing in on it publicly or would not weigh in on it because she knew nothing of it. So... The U.S. government, I'm here to say the U.S. government did not kill Brittany Murphy. No, no. <laughs> That's so far-fetched. Yeah. And I think this is also why people think Sharon didn't like Angelo even more. Because, like, this was obviously, like, a ploy for attention for him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And obviously, he can't comment on it anymore because he has deceased. But there's also the theory out there that I read, but it's really just kind of like conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theorists say is that Simon killed Brittany. That Simon basically killed Brittany to get rid of her so that he could get all her money and then found out that like he wasn't getting anything and seduced her mother and that she found out what he did and killed him in revenge for her daughter. It's very lifetimey. Very lifetimey. I'm pretty sure there's a movie and I'm I hope that's the plot. Probably. I mean, if you really think about it, like he was shady as fuck. Like he started like right after she died, he like started the Brittany Murphy Foundation and like started a fundraiser that was like a thousand dollar at like the lowest was like a thousand dollar per plate dinner. And then like people like Googled the shit out of that and realized he never registered it as like a nonprofit or a foundation and he had to cancel it and then was trying to whip up another thing right before he died. Some people think that he killed her because she was going to leave him and that the real move to New York wasn't about Simon at all. It was about giving herself some distance from him. And that I do know that some people think that the reason she didn't want to go back to the house is that she didn't want to be with him, but he liked the house. So he was like, I'm not staying at a hotel. She was trying to get away from him. There's also people who think that Sharon just straight killed them both. 
or that Sharon, because like you take what Tara said, that they stayed up basically to like two, three in the morning that night chatting before she passed away, before Brittany passed away. And Sharon was jealous of Brittany and was like slowly poisoning her because this is what Angelo thinks that was slowly poisoning her to get to be with Simon. And then maybe Simon was using whatever product that, you know, because he missed his wife, like maybe she poisoned a lotion or something. And it's just like, I'm like, oh, my God. Honestly, and this is the thing that the, even the Ed Winters, the assistant chief said, there wouldn't be any reason to do like exhume her body and do more testing now because so much time has passed. Yeah. Even when the Angelo was like pushing this in like the teens, mm-hmm. we're never really going to know what happened unless like Sharon finds a confession note or something. But I honestly think what happened is that Brittany died because she basically died of cardiac arrest. And I think it was drug related. I also think she may have had an eating disorder that lowered her immune system. I mean, I think so many women who are in Hollywood today or I mean, it's a little different now because like we've accepted different body types in 2020. Like you look at Lizzo, like Lizzo 10 years ago would not have been a thing. You had to fit like stereotypic like Britney was trying to be that like size zero 95 pound little beauty. Like you look at people like Hillary Duff, for instance. People got really concerned about her because she lost weight. And I think a lot of times it's like when actresses lose weight dramatically in their face, people automatically assume that they have an eating disorder. Yeah. Because like Hillary Duff lost all the weight in her face, but I don't think her body changed. But I do think Brittany, Brittany Murphy's body changed. Mm-hmm. Like she was thinner and less curvy. And I think she didn't have the proper nutrients in her body. And it and the whole like holistic medicine thing, like she wasn't really in holistic medicine. It was just Simon fucking guessing what dosage to give her. And she had like literally a cocktail of shit in her body. And there's a reason why, like if you read labels, they say like, do not take with this or do not drink with like what? Like don't drink this with alcohol. I'm pretty sure if it says don't drink this with alcohol, you shouldn't take it with another medicine that says don't drink this with alcohol. I mean, that's just like, I'm not a doctor and that's not medical advice, but like, that's just, in my opinion, you shouldn't take any medication without directly consulting a doctor and getting like a prescription or getting told like, this is the amount you should take. And a medical doctor. And I mean, like somebody who has a state board of some level that is looking at them and that regulates their license. Other than that, like your aunt, your like cousin who, you know, does yoga, like, no. Someone who has some sort of license that governs them, that holds them accountable to you. Ask those people. So now comes the fun part of the episode where Jessica gives her opinion of what she thinks happened. (laughs) I honestly think she died of a drug overdose. I think she had pneumonia because a lot of, I just looked it up. You can get pneumonia. And I think her heart just gave out. I honestly think the reason she waited to go to the doctor is that she probably had been doing a bunch of heavy drugs. And Simon didn't want her to go to the doctor to get blood tests. Because it would come out. Because they would come out that Brittany Murphy, I mean, granted, like HIPAA laws. But, you know, stuff always gets leaked. Like, it always happens. Right, right. And it just, it takes, like, a nosy reporter Mm -hmm. looking into something and, like, you know, and if sh- if that was the case, they may prescribe her something and someone may see what the prescription she got is or 
you know, people might start asking, like, I think there was just a lot that they were trying to protect themselves from. But the honest to God truth is that Simon was the major contributor to her death. In my opinion, it's involuntary manslaughter because he controlled her life so much that she didn't seek medical professional help and they were at home. And I honestly think like if that's if that's what someone's doing, that's that's abuse. Oh, yeah. If you're in a relationship that like, you know, that this person is preventing you from getting the help you really need, you really need to check yourselves because honestly, like serious shit happens when you neglect things in your body. For sure. So what is your theory on the Brittany Murphy mysterious death case? I definitely am pretty much in the same camp. I think he got her into drugs because there was also this, when that was brought up, he tried to be like, oh, she was diagnosed with a heart murmur and that would really be terrible. So she would never touch any of that. And it's like, okay, but you're literally the only one saying that. She had a heart murmur like her mom didn't. Nobody else did. And she had meth in her system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just really odd because I know like at first Ed Winter was like, oh, well, certain cough syrups like pop up as like a meth type thing. And I was like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it was that. And, it, and you have to think about it, too. Like any of the pills that he was feeding her, like he essentially was like almost triple her size. So the dosages also like that's a huge factor. Right. Because me and Matt, you know, we've both taken similar migraine medication and our dosages are different. Right. Because your size. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I just think the mix of all of that and her just being sick and then just her body couldn't fight it and it just was a recipe for disaster. And the other thing that makes me mad is like when I was reading about it, they were saying about how her lips are blue and she was like still cohesive. It's like, why wouldn't you take her to the fucking hospital then? Like, what the fuck? But it's again that whole he wants to protect himself and not fucking admit like, oh, I got my wife addicted to cocaine. So this is what's happening. And you know, all of that and then like the press and blah, blah, blah. So it's just it's so tragic. But I really think it is like that. And then he probably was like, eh, it's not because of that. It's because whatever, you know, continued on with his drug use and everything. And I do think that the conspiracy about him like trying to seduce Sharon, I guarantee that part's at least true. And that's why he all that happened, because (laughs) the fact that it said nothing's left for you, bitch. So he tried to weasel his way I a thousand percent think that if he hadn't passed away and that they would have ended up together mm-hmm. and that shit would have changed and then it would have been Sharon. Like, honest to God, I think that he obviously is opportunistic because with like his second wife, he realized that she had a shit ton of money. Her family had a ton of money. He moved in. And then as soon as like, I mean, he lived in her house still, like she moved away. She went back to England and he stayed where they were. Yeah, I think he just, he took every opportunity he could. He was very controlling and it's just, that is a form of abuse. Like she couldn't do anything. It's so heartbreaking because before him, she didn't have this attitude. She didn't have any of those bad things that kind of like led her to her career plummeting. So it's like she had a lot of promise for herself and 32 is so young. Like it's just, it's so sad. Celebrity or not, 32 is so young. I mean, this is like 11 years after, almost 11 years after her death. I mean, I think if Brittany hadn't died, if she hadn't been with Simon, I think her career would have been huge. I, she was, 
I mean, they talk about when you listen to people talk about her career, she got into movies. She was a serious actor. Like, I don't know if you've seen Girl Interrupted, but that shit is heavy. I don't know. I don't remember. It's been years. I was like, the last time I watched it was at your house, <laughs> like 12 years ago. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, probably same. I don't think I've watched it since then. But yeah, it's like they said she was just she had such a dynamic like she could do the serious roles. She could do the funny roles. She could be ditzy. She could be a smart character like she could do all of it. And she had that musical talent on top of it, too. So it's just it's heartbreaking. And I know some people roll their eyes with like celebrity deaths and stuff because it's like, obviously, we don't know these people, but it's like, it's still sad. Yeah, no, it's so sad. And it's sad for so many reasons. Like when I'm thinking of an actor who died in a car accident and you just think like, wow, like that's so much potential that just ended right then and there, you know? But then you look at Brittany Murphy's case and you're like, did somebody fucking kill her? Right. And it's just like, even if he didn't purposefully kill her, I the drug thing does line up for me because it's just too weird that their autopsies came back exactly the same. Right. Unless you're going to be, you know, go with that crazy thing that Sharon fucking killed them both. But it's like, why would she kill? Why would she kill her daughter? Because her daughter's as shitty as it sounds. Her daughter was her meal ticket. Her daughter's what was bringing in the money. Like she would have killed Simon, not her. (laughs) Right. I mean, and like there was the there is also a theory that the reason Sharon killed her and then killed him is because when they were talking about going to New York, they were talking about going to New York without Sharon and Sharon freaked out. I don't think that would have happened. I think Sharon could have moved back on her own or stayed in that house or whatever. I think the bottom line is, is that Brittany died. She died of an overdose. If you want to call it pneumonia, that's fine. Like, Mm -hmm. technically, my dad died of pneumonia, but like, he also died because of his dementia. There's always an underlying thing. And sometimes that underlying thing doesn't make it on the autopsy. And it kind of did like the multiple drugs. It doesn't say multiple prescription drugs. It says multiple drugs. And so if she was taking methamphetamine and then also taking like other shit for her cold. All bad. All bad. Yeah. Super bad. Well, (laughs) we hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think in a comment section somewhere or contact us on social media. We'd like to hear your opinion on what you think happened. It's just a really fascinating case, but we'd love to hear your guys's. So we will see you back here on Thursday for another Stabby. Bye, guys. Bye.